Welcome to Project Freelance. Buckle up. We're talking about one of the most iconic advertisements to ever be put on TV. You know it. It's the Canine Advantage song that goes, Hello, Mother. Hello, Father. And it's got puppies in it. Today, I'm talking to Rick Fishbein, the executive producer on that commercial. He also did a ton of other work in advertising, and I'm so excited to talk to him this week on the Project Freelance podcast. Let's get into it. So welcome to Project Freelance. The show is all about freelancing, how to get into different freelancing industries and sectors. Last week, we talked to an FPV drone pilot from the UK named Luke Gale from CineFlow UK. Definitely go back and check out that episode if you missed it. This week, I'm talking to Rick Fishbein. He was the executive producer on that Canine Advantix commercial, the Hello Mother, Hello Father one. We talk about that ad specifically. We talk about his time in the film industry and his pivot into real estate and how he made that decision to go into real estate. He has quite a fascinating story. This is a very heartwarming and touching episode. I hope you guys like it. Before we get into it, a couple things. First of all, I got to thank the partner on this podcast, Liquid Death Mountain Water. If you've never heard of Liquid Death, well, it's water in a can. Stop using plastic bottles and killing the planet. We can use recyclable aluminum cans filled with water. They have three flavors of sparkling water, a regular sparkling water and still water. Definitely go check them out, liquiddeath.com. Use promo code just the letter K for 10% off your order. Thank you guys for doing that. I appreciate it. And secondly, I want to share a affiliate link that I have. It is for Wondered Bags. So I've been using Wondered Bags for the past, I think, six or seven years. Uh, Wondered started out as a Kickstarter for this backpack and... It was geared towards photographers, which, you know, I am. And I had been going through bags at least every six months. I I would get a new bag because mine would fall apart because of all the things I was doing to it and all the things I was throwing at it. You guys know I explore abandoned places. I have another podcast called No Tracers where I talk about exploring abandoned places. So my bags have been put through the, the trenches, if you will, both literally and figuratively. They've been through the trenches and through the mud and the muck. Wondered is the only bag that has ever lasted. I've been using the same bag for six years, you guys, and it still holds up. Uh, The water bottle pocket is starting to tear, but I mean, after six years, like, come on, that's absolutely incredible. So I have an affiliate link because I'm now an affiliate with Wondered, which is amazing. Thank you, Wondered. I appreciate you guys. If you guys click down in the description and you want to check out these bags, uh, there are some of their top bags that are linked down there and you can go check them out. And I get a little bit of kickback if you guys pick up a bag. So thank you for doing that. If you're new to the podcast, please hit subscribe. And if you like it, if you've listened to it for a while, please leave a rating and a review on the show. It helps us grow. It helps us find an awesome audience of listeners just like you. Thank you for doing that. All right. Without further ado, let's get into the show. I'm so excited. Rick, please introduce yourself and what it is you did and slash do. Hey, good morning. My name is Rick Fishbein. I was a freelance line producer, DGA assistant director in TV commercials and contents in the 90s, 2000s, up to about 2015. Currently, I'm freelancing as a realtor in and around Southern California, specifically Los Angeles and the east side of L.A., so take me back to the very beginning. What first got you into the industry? Are you from LA? Are you a native from LA? Uh, or did you like move there to pursue uh, filmmaking? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm one of the few that, yeah, my parents moved us out to LA when I was 10 years old. 
I think my dad liked the idea of playing golf year round. <laughs> and I'm serious. And that's what got us out here. Wow. Um, and so when I was in grammar school, one of my friends was going to um, acting classes. And so I tagged along with them. And then someone said, you should get an agent. You're in LA. And I found myself getting a talent agent. And I was a child actor. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And um, I would not re necessarily recommend it. <laughs> I was going to say, it's hard to survive that. <laughs> yes, it is. And um, especially being a kid and, and learning to take rejection and all that. Right. So, um, uh, you know, funny enough, um, I wound up doing a bunch of TV commercials as a kid. Uh, and it was great because it was like a bit of a living. I got into the Screen Actors Guild. And then somewhere around 15 or 16, I decided it really wasn't for me. Um, so I really started out in, in the business very young and um, came back to it after I sort of traveled the world and lived abroad. When I was 27, I started out PAing because I was back in town and uh, had to um, start making a living. And so I knew that business, you know? Mm. Yeah, so it was comforting for you to, to come back to it in a way. Yes, and it was very familiar. My family was in the business, but I... It was interesting. My family was probably the most, it was the least helpful, funny enough. <laughs> I, I don't think I was too much of a Nepo baby, as they call it now. Um, it was just weird. My sister was a sales rep, and so I tried to talk to her, and she was, you know, helpful at some point along the way, but no more or less helpful than kind of calling anyone else. So I, I just said, I'm going to start at the bottom and work my way up. Uh, I'm a very task-oriented person, so I really wanted to know what every department was. Even though I'd had a degree in finance and worked in international banking abroad, um, you kind of have to start over again yeah. unless you, know, you want to get into the sales. So I was just a freelance production assistant, and um, because I kind of had a background in finance, so after picking up the dolly and doing all those arduous tasks that PAs have to do to run a set, someone's like, who can balance my petty cash? I'm like, oh, I can. Because <laughs> I worked in banking. So it was like, um, oh, you stay here. So, uh, you know, okay. part of it was just slowly, you know, integrating into the, um, into the production world. I really loved it because I remember being on set as a child. So for me, it was, like you said, familiar and comforting. And it was it was a decent job. It didn't pay very well. Sure. But, you know, I had a little calendar. If I could work 12 days a month, I could make rent and have food, you know. And that's literally how PAs start. I, I, I feel the plight. And, and that was what was important for me working my way up is I knew what it meant to be in the different departments and was always very sensitive to what it took and what people did, you know, um, people in production are just, you know, it's, it's, I got to get this done and they're very task oriented and, and don't think about the human side of it. Right. And so I always tried to do that. Plus I always tried to return people's calls who are looking for work. I was very sensitive to not ghosting 
anyone. And, um, you know, I was, cause I remember what it was like starting out trying to reach out to people and just not hearing from anyone. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it sounds to me like you made yourself an asset on set, you know, as a PA helping do the other things that were needed, like, you know, sorting that petty cash, things like that. And can you talk a little bit about that for people that are trying to get into the industry about making yourself an asset on set? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important if you've never been on set to maybe take one of the programs that are out there um, to learn because you're sort of thrown in on it. You know, there's no real guidebook. I mean, if you go to film school, that's not necessarily like this is the one industry where you don't necessarily have to have a degree mm-hmm. to get in and start working, especially in production. Right. It's kind of interesting. It's very, it's a very level field to get started. Right. And even if you do, you know, like I have a bachelor's in film production and I don't think anyone on a set has ever asked me if I have a bachelor's in film production. (laughs) They're just like, what have you worked on? You know? Right. What have you done lately? And and so um, for me, uh, it was sort of, you know, It was a different time also. We're in a much different time than when I started. You know, I was starting when business was just starting to expand in the late 80s. And so I think the things that are the same about it is, you know, arrive 10 minutes early. Yeah. Make sure you have a good night's sleep before. Have a protein bar in your pocket. Like, don't ask when we're done for the day. That's like, you know, the number one wrong question to ask. (laughs) Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, And... and, and know that you're there to just absorb and learn and listen and find your people, quote unquote. I think that's really important. What kept me in the business was the team of people I worked with and the collaboration. And that's going to may take a little while till you vibe and, and find your people. Um, what is it that you do on set, Kay? Uh, so I am a DP cinematographer. I'm a certified drone pilot. I edit Um, so I do a little bit of everything. I have done some PA work. I also act a little bit on the side, but I, so I lived in California for eight years before that I lived abroad as well. So similar to your story. Um, and I recently, as of the end of 2021 moved to Nashville. So I'm in Nashville now. So I'm, uh, still freelancing. Uh, that's all I do is freelance video and editing and photography, pretty much anything and everything that, you know, pays the bills or that will pay the bills. But see, that's the smart thing that I would say also is having multiple streams of income for sure really helps because it not only keeps your life more interesting, but especially in a place like Nashville, which is an awesome city mm-hmm. and has a lot of opportunity, you can provide different services Yeah. so that you're just not, you know, and eventually you may just start doing one thing. If the DP right. thing takes off and you're able to do that, well, then that's what you do. But you have that other experience. And when you're dealing with actors and lighting them and having to interact with them, you know what that's like to be on the other side of the camera. Yeah, for sure. It's It's been a huge help, you know, being able to be on both sides of the camera, both as an actor and in the film department or the camera department, uh, just knowing what it's like to be waiting to shoot and setting up to shoot and why it takes so long, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, I've been in a couple extra, I've been an extra in a couple yes. things, uh, music videos, uh, short films, mm-hmm. TV shows, things like that. And, you know, had an agent for a little while for you as a, 
like somebody in the film crew um did you ever like unionize were you ever in the union or were you just like freelance non-union stuff that's funny i I put that down there to uh to note so yeah again being on set and finding your people who will support you and you'll support will help you get a lot of information because no one tells you that as a pa you should save every single call sheet that you have Mm. and every production report because what happened was uh, a really great AD and line producer were like, you should get into Directors Guild. And there's different ways to try and get into the Directors Guild. They saw me on set and saw what I knew how to do. Um, my strength was really in the finance side. And I had decent people skills. I was horrible as a truck driver, <laughs> as a PA. Like, horrible. Like, I'd drive the wardrobe truck and she'd scream at me for the first hour I got there because all the racks were on the ground. <laughs> I didn't tie them up well. You know, all those yeah. things that happened. I did it. And, um, you know, like when I met my wife, I was driving a wardrobe truck. Mm-hmm. And, of course, one of the worst, you know, things that happened is because I was the PA in, in the office, they gave me the word, the worst truck to drive. You know yeah. what I mean? And so there I am driving up to Gorman, California, up what's called the Grapevine yep. in the wintertime. And, um, yeah, it was a nightmare. So they saw my skills were much better aligned with, kind of office PA work, uh, you know, even dealing with the client because I was older already, you know, I was 28, 29 years old. Mm. So, um, what, you know, you can, you can always start later. And so, um, those people also said to me, you should get in the director's guild. So I saved up my, um, days and, uh, yeah, 600 of them, 300 on, um, prep and wrap and 300 shoot days. Wow. And, uh, because the other way to get in the director's guild is, take a matriculation test they have, which I was never very good at. Um, and yeah, I knew I wouldn't, I, I took it and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I got to do it the hard way. Mm. And so five years I got into the director's guild. Wow. The other plug I would say is there's a organization called stand with production. Have you heard with that? Have, have you heard not, of them? No. So look their Instagram up. Yeah. They are unionizing production. Wow. It started with a producer and a production manager that walked off of um, a set probably a year, two years ago, a very well-known production company. And the production manager and producer had put in like 150 plus hours of work that week. And it just it just was so abusive. Wow. Um, they walked off. And now there is a an effort to unionize producers you know, production supervisors, coordinators, and even PAs. Wow. That's incredible. So, yeah, I would say that, um, and that is incredibly important. And, and this is coming from an executive producer who ran a production company and was head of the West Coast Association of um, Independent Commercial Producers. Like, I would normally be sitting on the other, other side of the table, but I guess it's easier for me to say it now. I'm uh, very supportive of them unionizing so that these workers can't be screwed over the way they have been. Yeah. I mean, you got to take care of your people. Otherwise you're not going to have any, you know? Right. And so the production companies always say that, right? you know, and you always feel it. And you, you sort of asked me like, you know, times I I've been screwed over, you know, you, you, um, you know, both from the production company side when, Hey, we'll get you next time. And then you don't get the call. Mm Mm-hmm after you gave them five or 10 days of work for free or, um, 
or when you're on the production side and you do a, a favor for an ad agency or a brand and then they get really cool boards and then don't even bother to bid you on it and you hear about it from a friend mm. you know um it's a tough business and so in finding those people that you can trust and that trust you will um alleviate a little bit of the stress and make it feel worthwhile to be in this endeavor definitely so Let's talk about some of your projects. So I obviously, uh, people that are listening to this that don't know, I found you through a Facebook post. Uh, somebody was seeking out who was working on a certain commercial that, for lack of a better term, went viral 13, what, 13 years ago? Yeah, a long time ago. So viral before viral was even a thing. So, I mean, for those listening, we're talking about a, a commercial that was for Canine Advantix. And I literally brought this up to my friend the other day. I was like... I was like, uh, I have this guest coming on my podcast and he worked on the canine Advantix uh, commercial. And he was like, you mean the one with the dog that's singing? And I was like, yes, <laughs> everyone knows this ad. Can you talk to me about this? So the funny thing about that ad, first of all, it comes from a very famous comedian that I knew because I'm getting to be old as fuck, um, <laughs> named Alan Sherman in the early 60s. Uh -huh. um, and you should just look it up on YouTube. He was a Jewish comedian that was amazing. Okay. And he... Um, had this song, Hello Mada, Hello Fada, about kids going away to summer camp. Oh my God, um, okay. And I actually went away to summer camp. I still, I found a plaque I had from 1967 from Silver Arrow Day Camp in Philadelphia. <laughs> like it was a rite of passage as a young suburban kid to go to okay. sleepaway camp, right? Yeah. And, and so he, in the early 60s, made um, an amazing song about it. And so then... You know, in, in in true advertising fashion, you know, Bear, the makers of Advantix came up, you know, the ad agency out of the Midwest came up with um, this, this great creative. And it was an agency producer that I loved. Um, her name was Tracy Davis. She was the daughter of Sammy Davis Jr. Wow. And she recently passed away. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Tracy was amazing. She would call me up and go, I got this job. I, no one can do it for the budget. Can you make it work? And so, um, it was a gift when she would call me, wow. you know, and I did such amazing work for her and with her. And she became, as you can tell, I'm emotional, yeah. a dear friend because she grew up in LA as well. Mm. And we actually knew some of the same people. And, um, that's what happens in the business is that you, 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 it's important that you, expose yourself and and allow those connections to happen yeah um and so nobody wanted to do this job or no one could bid it and i had a director um one of the directors i had uh, may he rest in peace see i told you i'm getting so old that people are dying around mm. me um was brent thomas and i ran his production company brent was the agency art director for a very famous commercial called 1984 which was the launch of, you know, this largest Super Bowl commercial mm -hmm. that came out in 1984. And it was a privilege for me to PA for him and then eventually run his career. Like literally we were in touch. Yeah, it was probably about 18 years. Wow. Where I worked for him as a PA, as a coordinator. And then I had my own company and folded it into his and his wife's company called Green Dot Films in i must have gone over there in the late 90s 99 i think and so i knew brent could figure it out 
And we did. We figured it out. It was a tough job because it wasn't a big budget job. Mm. And we had lots of puppies on the set. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it wound up being, yeah, one of Brent's favorite spots. And so I was so glad to be able to get in on that. And and, um, yeah, that was... uh, that was a fun one. It's, I mean, it's iconic. You know, I, I grew up with that ad. You know, I'm a 90s kid, so I, I grew up with that ad. And, you know, I I was talking to a friend of mine and he was like, do you know how many like dogs got adopted after that commercial came out? Like there's got to be a statistic somewhere. <laughs> you know what? I think that um, at this point, you know, advertising really Look at the, you know, it it it, it matters to people. Look at yeah. the Super Bowl these days. Oh, yeah. Look at just everything. Um, how much advertising affects us culturally, mm. and every few years there's something that comes up that really um, that really rings true for people. Right. And and that was the other thing. Maybe as we get to you know the evils of advertising or the other side of it mm. is like, you know you know, selling shit to people they don't need. Right. right? That whole part of it. For sure. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it's it's important to find that balance. Like when I was running a production company, because I eventually, from PAing, I moved up to freelance, you know, coordinating and production supervising and then line producing. And because I had this background in business, I started my own company with a few directors and then rolled it into, you know, this other production company that was existing that was looking for someone to run their company. And so in doing that, I always tried every quarter to do at least one public service announcement to, you know, give back what we could. Um, Even though it wasn't my company, I just always, you know, would seek out really interesting creative that the directors would want to do, that we could also do some good in promoting. That's so special. You know, I love, I love that that was something that was in your heart to do was to give back. You know, I think that that, that is often overlooked in every industry. And, you know, I have a couple mentors that tell me like, you know, if you want to give back, you should get into like, you know, charity work, things like that. Put yourself in places where you can help because it will only, you know, help others and help you live longer and live happier. And so I think that that's something that, you know, I'm looking to get more into as far as that goes and working with nonprofits and things like that as a freelancer is a big deal to me. Um, and I wanted to go back to building your community and just touch on, you know, that one more time. I got to work for a number of months with Sigma, the Sigma Cine, uh, group. So Mm -hmm. like using their lenses and, you know, working with their crews and their affiliates and, you know, people that use their lenses and the, those people have really like supported me through everything, you know, like they've looked out for gigs for me and like brought me into things and helped me along the way. And like, even to the point of like, you should have this person on your podcast. You know what I mean? Like, it's really cool to like have that network built out, especially with people that have so much experience in the industry. So it's, it's been really cool to like grow that community and network myself. And you know, it, for people listening, it it can only help you grow if you network and build those relationships on set and offset. It is. And it's hard for people, you know, Um, it's hard for people to reach out and they don't realize, I was just talking to my son today about this, about reaching out to someone that he interned for that he really respected. Mm -hmm. And he feels like, oh, he's too busy. He won't want, I'm like, 
dude, you don't understand people want what you have and you have to let them know that in a respectful way. And as much effort as that takes, um, like I was so impressed that you reached out to me. I was so touched. And I thought also, um, how smart is that? Because you're doing that for me, then you're, you're doing that for, you know, for a bunch of other things and it becomes a part of who you are Mm. and it enriches your life. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, the other thing I would say about advertising is if you start to get into it and it's not for you, then that's okay too. Um, it's a grueling, especially in production, it's a grueling business with long hours. And, you know, I'd originally wanted to start out as a documentary filmmaker Sure. and, you know, it just wasn't, happening and you know if i'm looking in in perspective maybe um i should have stuck it out a bit more because you know as much as i got fulfillment financially from working in production yeah you you don't necessarily get a lot of fulfillment in what life's about if mm-hmm. you're looking at perspective and you know the stress is incredible and you know everyone just grinds it out and then eventually it's going to affect your health. True. You know, and so um, I think that, you know, people aren't looking enough at um, how checking in with themselves, yeah. right? We're all just freelancers. Like, what's the next gig? Where's the next gig? Yeah. What can I do? How can I double up on this? Right. Um, and, just to be careful and, and a little bit of self-love to know that um, checking with yourself, is this, you know, am I being fulfilled by this or is my hair falling out? Right. And am I eating like crap and am I not, you know, working out? Mm. And then what's the cost of it at the end? I, I can tell you personally, like, I have a ton of plaque in my arteries now from stress, yeah. from eating like crap with all the client dinners. <laughs> You know, and eating all the fast food just to shove food down your throat at 2 a.m. after you're offset. Exactly. And and so, yeah, I'm I'm fine and I'm healthy, but I have to be mindful of that. Yeah. Whereas in perspective, you know, had I known um, a little bit, you know, more and checked in with myself and watched my health a little bit more, I might not be in this situation now. Who knows? You know, it's also heredity, but. Sure, sure. I mean, but you're right. You know, that's with anything, you know, I feel like perspective gives us so much insight. And like, we have that, like, I wish I could go back and, you know, whatever, change something. But, you know, moving forward, like, for you, let's talk about your pivot into real estate and why you wanted to kind of like, step out of the film industry and go into something else. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, a couple things happened. Um, I had been working at Green Dot for an amazing tech client that I've signed so many non-disclosures for that I can't talk sure. much about. But it's um, it was working at such a high level and with such creative people that once and you know what happens after four or five, six years, there's a new regime that comes in. They want to try something new and different, even though what they're doing is working amazingly. Um, and that sort of happened. Like I saw, no one said we weren't going to keep getting the boards in this work, but I felt like it was time to move on. Mm. 
And I'd spoken again, having some friends up with the agency and the client even were like, yeah, I think the winds are changing. And so that was a time for me. Am I going to continue doing this or am I going to move on? And, you know, at the same time, I was sort of getting screwed by the production company I was working for. And I wouldn't say it was screwed, but it was, I'd reached a glass ceiling because we were all doing so well. Yeah. And it's always funny when the owners of a production company look at you and say, look how much money you're making. I'm like, you know, if I'm making this much money, I know you're making that much money. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, everyone's doing really well, Uh but they wanted, you know, they wanted to start renegotiating and, and, and sort of, um, it was just getting like, it wasn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. I hate to use the word fun, but it's just because it wasn't ever fun. It wasn't, <laughs> um, you know, it just wasn't working as well as it was working. Yeah. And um, at that time, I decided, you know, to sort of step aside. Um, at that time, also, I had a minute. So I had what's called a heart scan mm-hmm. as a part of a physical because I was taking a, a CrossFit class and got like heart palpitations. Dude, CrossFit is crazy. Okay. Yes. Right. It's, it's in, crazy. It's psychotic. I, it's psychotic. And of course I was, you know, I really used cardio as a way to like work out stress. Yeah, sure. Which by the way is maybe not the best thing. <laughs> Cause it causes more stress. Yeah. Because yes, it stresses the heart even more. Right. So, um, that, so I went and had a heart scan and, and, you know, the doctor at Cedar sinai Hospital in LA is like, you know, you have a lot of plaque in your arteries. You need to go on a plant-based diet. Wow. And my wife was vegetarian for the past umpteen since I must I know her. So I went on a plant-based diet and then went down the rabbit hole, if we're really getting personal here, with veganism to help support this idea of being on a plant-based diet. So mm. you start watching those documentaries about factory farming. For sure. And the for sure. Well, now I have another problem because I had directors that were food photographers and all I did was fast food. Wow. So I had a real crossroads of, okay, I'm going into this world of veganism and the belief that we should not be harming animals to eat since we don't have to eat them. And in fact, I just had the head of nuclear cardiomedicine tell me that we don't need animals to eat to survive and thrive. Wow. And so I was like, hmm. And of course, the next boards I get, because I was kind of going freelance again after leaving that company, Uh was for a church's fried chicken commercial. (laughs) It's for actually a a whole campaign. A director friend called me and said, dude, I just got these boards and they want to go with me. And it was a real decision I had to make. I'm like, how can I be a vegan? And support that. Support that. And my wife was actually wonderful about it. She was like, well, the commercial is still going to get made. So if you want to, you can donate your... Sure. But the question is, do I want to be around that anymore? Mm. On a set, it's disgusting on the set. I was even disgusted by the smells and the amount of food waste and all of that. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous, especially on, like, you know, food sets. You're you're throwing away so much stuff. I've done, you know, I've done shoots for Ninja appliances, and it's like, yo, like, is somebody going to eat this, like, these 300 hot dogs you just grilled? Like, what is happening here? Exactly. And so for me, I just kind of had to realize that I I had said what I had said in advertising and move on. Mm. And if you've been on sets anywhere and you're sitting down and talking to the crew like you always do in between setups, Mm -hmm. 
you know, talk to the grips and gaffers because they're always investing in real estate. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, they are experts. And so I kind of saw that. And, and so as a part of, you know, kind of my exit plan, I don't know if it was conscious or subconscious, like in like 2008, 2009, after the market turned, I started with a couple friends investing in some investment property wow. and really enjoying it. And so I went and got my real estate license, I think in 2012 and um, just started helping people out in the Los Angeles area who were in the film industry. You know, I don't have any big websites and I don't have my name on bus benches, but um, I just sort of, you know, manage that. And again, various streams of income so that when the big client, the big tech client that decided to shift and pivot to someone else, I wasn't mortified and my life did not come apart. Mm. It was sad and I was bummed because I really enjoyed working with those people. But at the same time, it didn't knock me to my knees. Yeah. Wow. So I, I can be a vegan realtor now. Hey, let's go. That's awesome, <laughs> man. No, I love that you like pivoted and there's this this mentality of like adapting, like you adapt or die, you know, and I feel like you were put in a position where you had to figure out if you wanted to adapt and pivot or fall, like you said, like fall to your knees. And so yeah. I, I think it's it's awesome that you got in with that community, you know, the crew that was doing real estate and, you know, you got into that world. I think that that's a fascinating way to like find your new avenue. You know, you just used your network. Exactly. And you, you, you look at people, you, you know, the, the film set is such an interesting place to be. It's like, you know, I used to call it, uh, or someone else must have called it, because I don't think I'm smart enough to come up with it. No, it's a circus without the circus tent. Wow. Right? Yeah, for sure. And that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. like you always look around a set and go, what would these people be doing if there wasn't a film business? For sure. For sure. Wow. <laughs> you know, just very creative people. And for the most part, you know, interesting. And, and, um, and I think at the same time, um, you know, everyone is task oriented. I'm always so amazed about how much we could get done with this group of people that all together decide to do it, you know? Mm. And, and that side also sit, you know, after these, like we've been on some McDonald's conference call for two hours talking about sesame seeds on a bun. And I'm like, what if we spent the last two hours talking about homelessness? Wow. Cause these people are so incredible how we could do something amazing. Mm. I mean, you know, maybe it was wishful thinking, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it does get kind of ridiculous, yeah. especially in advertising sometimes. Oh, for sure. For sure. And you just focus on the product. Yeah. Right. Oh man, that's, you know, that's an amazing insight, you know, to, just to have talking about advertising versus like real world problems. Like, you know, you were talking about earlier selling people shit they don't need. Like, right. I feel like that makes me want to stay kind of away from the advertising world. And, you know, I, I love doing documentaries. I'm a, you know, mm-hmm. I love the first documentary I made was about illegal dog fighting in the Middle East because I lived there and, you know, my wow. neighbor's dog, my neighbor's dog was rescued from a dog fighting ring and it was this whole thing. And I was like, listen, I, I got to tell this story. So I, I did, you know, and I got hooked on storytelling, like real life, you know, hard hitting storytelling. And it's kind of, carried through to what I do now. Like I said, I freelance, but I also tour with bands telling their stories, you know, of life on the road and, you know, things like that behind the scenes and all that stuff. And it's, it's been quite a fascinating way to get into filmmaking. And, you know, we talked about earlier how 
you learn a lot on set and i feel like for people listening like i can totally relate to that like i i always tell people when they ask me if they should go to film school like no Mm -hmm. not necessarily because i learned everything i know after i left and got my degree you know i i hardly learned anything on set in film school yeah no it's true there's a i mean i think there there's value to both right oh i'm sorry oh you're good no worries it's like um so you know i think it's it's one of those things um where yeah i don't think film school is a bad thing and i've spoken at many of them Mm -hmm. but at the same time um you know it's a good place to network but it gets uh you know it's very expensive to network in film school for sure you know that's what you're trying to do like i have neighbors who he has a master's from usc film school and i'm like oh like what are you gonna do with that yeah, right. you know you know and I, I don't say anything but i just feel like you know i i don't know unless you know and i don't want to discount the value of education but i just don't know in this business that you can't learn if you, you know and if you're motivated enough to read books and and create your own sort of list why you couldn't get the same result mm-hmm. yeah with practical experience yeah and hard work you know i feel like that's yeah. a that's a big thing there and so uh my last question for you is what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started all of this hmm. i think i think that i know you know self-reliance self-care and that it will be okay. You know, there are a lot of stressful times. And so I think if I just would have not gotten myself so wound up with all the sleepless nights the day before a shoot, you know, I would have, um, it would have been easier to, um, you know, to be in that business. It was, it was incredibly stressful. And, in, and there were a lot of rewards financially, but I think if when I started, I knew it would all be okay, I would have stressed less. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming on Project Freelance and sharing your story with everyone today. Oh, it was my pleasure. And I appreciate you reaching out to me. What a lovely human he is. Oh my God. That was absolutely amazing. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with Rick today and I hope you guys got a lot of information out of this about the film industry about what it was like to work in it and work in advertising this was such a special episode for me because of the nostalgia of this canine advantage commercial I I think I gotta play it here at the end you know I think I think I gotta just let it run to close us out here even if I get like copyright infringement I don't even care at this point let's go thank you for listening to project freelance my name is k just the letter k you can find my work at just the letter k.com all my social media links are down below I'll talk to you next Monday stay strong keep enduring let's roll this ad hello mother hello father please take some mosquitoes really bother thanks for the package that's why I'm writing canine advantage quickly stopped all the biting swimming hiking intent pitching they're not biting I'm not itching can't wait to show you all my new tricks thanks again for sending me canine advantage only
canine advantage stops fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes from biting and menace.